the music of my guest today has nothing to do with the 80s hard rock band Y&T. Oh, there they are. <laughs> Nicely done. Here's a quick story. Years ago, on the first day of class, one of my college students had the last name Menachetti. And I said, hey, that's the same name as the lead singer of Y&T. And he said, yeah, that's because that's my uncle. And dropping any professorial pretense, I responded with, rad. <laughs> anyway, the music of my guest today sounds nothing like Y&T, but somehow I made the comparison. And he was cool with it. Why? Well, because he's a cool guy. I'm Alex Green, and this is Stereo Embers, the podcast. Check this out. I will never know the life you had before. White and brown stray, you are so kind. Sit down. That is the music of Y&T. No, I'm kidding. Of course it's not. That's the music of my guest today on the program, Josh Rouse. Let me tell you a little bit about Josh Rouse. Over the course of his brilliant career, which has spanned roughly 15 albums or so, the Nebraska-born Josh Rouse has established himself as one of the finest singer-songwriters on the planet. Armed with the poetic flourishes of everyone from Paul Simon to John Prine, Rouse's work is many things at once. Subtle, but catchy. Elegant, graceful, and undeniably infectious. Work your way through his discography. Go ahead, maybe grab Under Cold Blue Stars or 1972 or his fabulous new one, Going Places, and you'll see what I'm talking about. He's toured with Mark Eitzel and Amy Mann, had his music used in films like Cameron Crowe's Vanilla Sky. By the way, somebody still needs to explain that movie to me. And he won a Goya Award for Best Song in Spain, which is their equivalent of the Oscars. And speaking of Spain, the Spanish love Josh Rouse. And he loves them right back. Both his wife and his band are from there. And it's not an uncommon thing to find Josh Rouse playing in Spain to a sold-out crowd. But you know what? I saw him play to a sold-out crowd here in San Francisco, too. So Josh Rouse is crushing it on many shores. I love his new album. It's got gentle grooves, musical precision, fine-drawn hooks, and miles and miles of soul. And this conversation is awesome. Very cool guy. So here you go. Me and Josh Rouse having a chat right here on Stereo Embers, the podcast. is is really paranoid like firecracker you know any kind of explosion just freaks her out so we're kind of um we're not doing much today laying low i think any kind of explosion freaks me out now too at this stage in my life 
Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I'm not sure it, the, the same thrill when I was a kid about fireworks that seems to be replaced by a general uh, worry about the country rather than a celebration of its independence. Yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. Oof. Do you when you think about the state of of affairs where we are, do you, is your first impulse to go to art and and write a song and somehow throw it in there or do you keep those two things those two worlds separate no yeah 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 i i do i i don't you know um i don't i don't have any songs that you know i i a few of my songs in the past touched on political things i suppose it gets in there somehow but you know i don't directly you know relate those those uh, I don't do that <laughs> yeah I'm a writer and I don't I don't do it either I know that when I was a kid and anytime my romantic life went horribly um you know there's a lot of the girl doesn't love me poems in college that yeah doing that but in terms of political stuff I never I never did that I could I thought about it you know I, I and as I get older I think about it more as well um I just, the times when I go to write, that's not naturally what comes out, mm -hmm. you know. Um, I've been, I'm aware of things that are going on, but in the, even when the pandemic hit, it, it got so heavy. Just media in general over the past year, it, it's just hard for me. I, I have to disconnect at some point, you know. The Trump stuff literally burned me out of the news. Like I can't even watch the news anymore. I just, I just. Can't well, that's what I mean. Yeah, I, it just gets it's so, so ridiculous, and it just doesn't really seem to be getting any better. <laughs> I know. You know, it's it's this side against that side, and and um, without having a big overview and a big perspective, you know, all the things that are involved. The the, the you know everything that's involved with with um the modern world you know politically and and media wise and financially uh it's a pretty dark place that we'll, we'll get in i hope these younger kids my kids and everything will kind of um be conscious and try to pull out of this you know yeah i mean we can we can only hope and also i, I also think about how like your work which i've I've followed from the beginning. It also it also is sort of like your body of work is this sort of not not a mythical place, but it's like it's this politics would seem like it would disturb that kind of um, uh, I'm not sure how to explain, it, but sort of like the the aesthetic or the narrative feel of your body of work. It's like you're not Billy Bragg, like you haven't. That wasn't right. like you're <laughs> right. Right. I never started out like that. Yeah. Yeah. And I just, um, which I, I enjoy that and I like it, but it's, it's never been part of, part of my work. So does it give you a kind of, um, in that sort of conscious keeping out, doesn't it also give you a kind of artistic freedom that you might not have? It might be narrower if you were taking a more Woody Guthrie approach. Well, I, I like that. It's just the opposite. I think, I think it's, it's nice to have something to write about. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, you know, the clash, you know, uh, um, the clash talking about just getting out the newspaper, you know, they had all these, all this stuff getting out of the newspaper and finance and let's write a song about, you know, when I do a, a song for a film, I know what's right about it. It's not just my imagination or, or my subconscious getting into the song. It's, it's, uh, 
is there something to write about, which can be easier. You get more done that way, you know, or if you, if I'm the kind of person that comes up with more music than I have lyrical ideas. So that can be helpful, you know, uh, to have that. So I don't know if it's more freeing or uh, more freeing to a degree. It's not more productive. (laughs) (laughs) Right. In that sense, do you kind of have a feeling of what you've been kind of chipping away at thematically over the course of your career? Is it is a lot of the same sort of themes that you're trying to sort of work out? I'm too hard on myself. You know, I don't really like I've been doing the same stuff, the same themes, you know, of loneliness. I know I grew up an only child in rural Nebraska. So that stuff naturally comes out, just loneliness and and dealing with that on my own level and and how I relate that to to everything. So, I, you know, as I get older, I try to involve more humor, more uh you know, just some different topics and different things into, into my songs. Otherwise it's, um, you know, the same kind of melancholy world, which people enjoy. I I like that kind of music too, but, uh, I'd love to have a wider range lyrically of songs to do even within my set, you know, to be honest, but I, like I say, I, I, you know, that's self-criticism, you know, definitely creeps into what I do. And oh, I want, you know, I'd love to do uh, more John Prine songs that have this, you know, very witty and uh, working class wit, which I, I enjoy, I love, you know. And he, you know, you can touch on everything, politics, love, you know, um, whatever, fishing, you know, and tie it all together. And, and, and I love that, but I'm not, I'm more of a, uh, a melody guy, you know, mm-hmm. melody and harmony and creating moods than I am, I would consider myself a lyric writer. John's work certainly had that sort of like the whimsy and also the heartbreak could happen at the same <laughs> song. Yes, yeah, brilliant. It's great. You know, it's, he's, you know, Dylan level, you know, those guys are lyric guys. And, you know, the music was was good too. And I'm always very envious of that. Um, and I I work harder at it. There's some writers that, you know, we always envy what we don't have, you know, and, I, and uh, I've always been very envious of um, people that can really turn a phrase or, you know, write songs that aren't really, there's a narrative there, but they're fragment. Robin Hitchcock, for example, who's, who's a friend of mine, just genius lyrics, you know, even when he writes, you know, he's, he's very, it's just, uh, he's operating on a different level. Yeah. yeah even something a simple line like i'd like to reassure you but i'm not that kind of guy right <laughs> <laughs> and it's really made for it's almost made not to be I, this sounds well I, everyone can enjoy it but there's a lot of music that you know uh relates to everyone but I notice men chuckle at this music more sometimes than women do. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I don't want I don't want that to sound like a sexist comment, but it's almost like it was made for a, 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 a you know a group of guys to kind of chuckle about. You know, <laughs> That's are, you, are you talking about like like that. Hitchcock specifically? No, just even Prime. Mm. You know, I mean, yeah. it, it's kind of it, there's kind of a boys' club there. It's like I'm making this music; you're gonna get a kick out of this. You know, especially Dylan. You know, I mean, 
while he had his romantic songs, there was a lot of stuff that, I don't know, um, a lot of the shows I go to, there's not a lot of women at the shows. It's def there's it's definitely a boys club with that stuff. Yeah, someone took me to see um, Yes play in 1984, and I remember thinking, where are the girls? Right. <laughs> there's no girls here either. Yeah. <laughs> it's Frog interesting rock. to go see shows i mean uh, even the shows i go to now in nashville uh the only time yeah uh there'll be you know primarily 50 year old men between 50 and 60 year old men going to see live music but however i opened for john mayer back in 2007 it was just completely the opposite so yeah you know uh it's it's interesting to see who goes to see the shows and the audience and yeah, yeah. I never. It's interesting because because Prine, to me, Prine is like Hemingway, but it's very male writing. You're right. There's something very male about it. Yeah, yeah. Um, by the way, how did you become pals with Hitchcock? I I like knowing that you guys are friends. I'm a huge fan of his too. Um, how did I become? I think living in in Nashville. Mm uh yeah and we've had mutual friends but we ran into each other here in nashville and then uh he played valencia he's played valencia when i've been there so you know yeah gone out to dinner and things like that yeah. Yeah, i mean talk about whimsy his his work lyrically it feels like you don't know what's gonna happen no and his live shows the same way you know i perform solo a lot now and so i pay a lot of I, I do play with the band as well, but I do a lot of performing solo and his, just his banter in between songs is just great. So, so some, it's great to see someone out there that can do that and just be so off the cuff and just, you know, is just firing off all the time. I'm just the opposite. I'm just, <laughs> not the opposite. I, I have a, you know, I, I've got a show put together too. And, um, I'm always wanting to learn, you know, going uh, out to watch him or seeing Nick Lowe, you know, who does the same kind of show, but, uh, you know, he's got a, he's got a great set down, you know, so I'm not missing the band. I prefer just to see that solo. This is something, there's an intimacy and, and the jokes work and yeah, it's, it's a thing. And I, and I respect that and I like it and I'm, like to get better at it so i watch people like hitchcock or nick and that have been doing it longer than i have and just you know you pick up a few things here and there hitchcock always was sort of like uh monty python like his between song stuff is so surreal oh, yeah. and weird yeah yeah definitely and then it'll play yeah. a heartbreaking song and you're like i don't know what to feel right now right <laughs> right but you're entertained he's he's a he's a fantastic entertainer he really is uh Graham Parker is another one who does that I think really well okay I'll have to check that out I know I've never seen him perform live yeah I think so how have you in terms of getting back to good old-fashioned American loneliness how have you reconciled or got your head around it and does it feel different to you your life doesn't look lonely I'm looking behind you it looks like there's a lot of fun in your there's house. a lot of bikes and a drum kit yeah, yeah. <laughs> right right <laughs> right so have you gotten your head around what it meant to be, you know, an only child growing up in Nebraska? Um, and how has that changed in terms of your perspective on it over the years? Well, I've definitely got my head around it. Yeah, I didn't realize that even for my first few records. And then for me, 
your few on your first few records it's it's like this greatest hits of all your you know uh you know emotionally you know those songs just came out i didn't have to work hard on them and i didn't know what it, what the songs even were about and they just came out and people responded to it and, and it felt great and then i became more of a craftsman after my second record because you need more material so you dig for stuff. I, you're, I'm still dig, digging from the same well a little bit, but uh, or drawing water from the same well. But um, I think you've got to find different things to write about, and writing songs becomes more of a job at that. But for me, it became more of a job. You know, it wasn't something I thought that I could, I could do. Uh, I wanted to do it, but it became a reality. I was touring around the world, putting out records, doing interviews, you know, it became, you know, what I, what I wanted to do and what I love to do became a reality. And then it was like, oh, wow, I've, well, I've got to keep coming up with material on it. You know, I want it to be interesting for myself and whoever's listening, you know, so that that's when, for me, becoming a, a crafts person, you know, you have to sit down and it's just not, oh, all the songs are coming to me, which my first couple records, I had time to do that. But then you're, you're on a schedule and you've got to, you know, and I realized the more that I did it, I got better at it. Melodically, harmonically, everything I was learning. So, uh, and that just take, took a lot, you know, takes practice in doing it. So now I need more, you know, writing comes from, I'll come up with a good title and just take it from there. Is there more of an efficiency to your, to your work ethic and to your, well, an efficiency and not to the work ethic, but is there an efficiency to getting the work done? Do you know, can you sort of dive in and be productive? Yeah, yeah, I definitely have spells. Like this this record that just came out was definitely, you know, six months, I guess, of just a collection of songs I've had within that six months. So, yeah, which is pretty good. And I, I feel it's a pretty strong record to just be you know, if I'm just taking from that time period. So, yeah. Can you leave a song? If you're working on something and it's sort of like, you feel like you're about to turn the corner on it, but you're not quite there and it's not coming. Can you walk oh, yeah. away from it? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Sure. Ah. sure. Yeah. I definitely don't. Uh, I do write with, I know people that, you know, Nashville songwriter town. So I know people that have to finish it and I won't finish it if it doesn't feel like it's, I don't like the directions it's going in or it's just, I, I am spiritual about it in that way. It's gonna want to. It, it's gonna show itself to you in, in time. I won't force it, and then there'll be something about it I don't like, and it won't. It'll just end up on a, uh, an idea on my voice memos or a hard drive and stay there. Which I have a lot of stuff like that. So I'm kind of careful. I'm a little superstitious about um, not pushing it too hard. Hmm. Yeah. And also the idea that sometimes like if I'm working on something and I can't quite turn the corner and then I have to go back to real life. Um, I'm a teacher if I'm working with my students or for the first couple of minutes, I kind of feel like I might, I might be a little edgy because I'm, I'm kind of like, you know, it's almost like being in the darkest and then suddenly seeing the light. Um, yeah. You, you know, you have this unfinished thing. It doesn't feel good, but it also is, I think you realize it's probably smart to let it go for. Oh yeah. Without a doubt. Yeah. You don't want to, you can force it and go, okay, it's done, great. But you really want to, you want to like it and, and, and want to share it with people. <laughs> right. 
Right. There's someone gave me an REM bootleg from like 81. And the songs Ooh. that were on Life's Rich Pageant six years later were on that bootleg, which made me think they, they had all those songs early on. Incredible. Yeah, yeah. It's funny you mention them because I put, you know, their first 10 records are definitely influential on me. I was a big fan. And um, Automatic for the People, I bought it used on CD the other day. I, you know, was a big fan. And it must have stayed in my car for you know three days and i was driving around and i just listened to it over and there was like there wasn't a song on there that i felt like oh i just need to fast you know it's just so solid it's just so good stipes lyric everything about it is uh great they were a great band and, and a unique group of people that worked on music together for sure and they had an interesting process because i knew people that work with them that you know peter would come up with these chord progressions they wouldn't write together all that often you know, the song would almost be done and then Michael would come in and put, you know, put a melody and, and lyrics over it, which is pretty, I don't know how you do that. <laughs> yeah, and I don't know how you have like a song like Hyena back in 1981 or Just a Touch. I mean, I mean, it's amazing to me when you think about like having all that material, that creative burst, um, which I've always, I've always talked about this as like, I, I liken it to like youthful libido, <laughs> you know, that sort of yeah. like, you know sure sure i mean as we get older uh i think we get a little bit slower in in a lot of areas but i also think that there's a kind of um you're much more discerning maybe when that youthful exuberance you might not be as discerning rem right they didn't make any mistakes in in their youthful exuberance but a lot of people do right sure you know yeah um for you as a writer, do you, when you have those bursts, do you sort of, you trust it, you just have to go with it, right? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I have an, an instinct to where <clears throat> I'll write it and record it. Uh, I usually don't record it until I, I feel like the song's done. You know, I feel like, or it's three fourths of the way there. Maybe it's just missing something. And then I try to disconnect from it. And if I put it on and I like the mood, not even listening lyrically to what it's, if, if it just, if I can hear it in another room and it just makes me feel a certain way, then I, that's my thing. That's my marker for that. I want to hear this. <laughs> that's the only thing I can do, you know, is that if, if I want to, it's something that I want to listen. And I'm, you know, it doesn't mean that everything I put out, I just, I love or I think it's amazing I, I you know I think there's a certain standard there that I that I think okay I, I want to hear this more than once and there's a lot of music I hear that I don't want to hear more than once right <laughs> especially right. now yeah there's got to be something about it and it of course those are just my own personal taste you know um and a lot of it has to do with uh yeah just the mood or the feel of it you know yeah I hate to use the word vibe because people, that word is so overused, but just the energy coming in, whatever's coming out of the speakers. A lot of times, you know, even if it's a guitar and voice, there's something there that, uh, a certain mood that someone's capturing that will pique my interest and I'll, and I'll, I'll want to hear it again. So the editorial distance for you is, that's the process, put it on and leave the room. 
yes put it on leave the room you know come back to it and see how it's feeling uh because when he, when you're writing it your head is really in there you know and then you've got to you got to leave it for a while and come it's just like a painting you want to come back to it and get a, a kind of a, a, your first instinct a fresh perspective and of course that can be you know that could be bipolar you never know what mood you're you are when you come back to it you know there's certain days if you're working on music you're working on a record you work on it for months there's definitely times it's like oh god this is horrible you know no one's gonna like this i don't like this <laughs> and then you know uh, this record that we're speaking about or this new record that i have um i'll hear a song like henry miller's flat and go back to it and i go oh, great i got it that's good that's what i wanted that's I think if anyone heard that, I would be happily represented with that song, with that feel, um, no regrets. But I'll hear some older records and go, why did I do that? You know, it's, it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's embarrassing. And that's, that's the, you know, the rub with being a creator. You gotta kind of put it out there. And, and at the time it felt good. Um, and it depends on, on your state of mind when you go back and listen to it as well. Right, like, are there some days where you would hear an old, old song of yours and go, "Actually, that is pretty good." Yeah, I'll catch it. I'll be at a a restaurant, or last summer for some reason, we were traveling around Europe a little bit, and I heard one of my songs on in a restaurant or some shopping area, you know, like a, um, you know, the whatever they play now, and in restaurants or. not H&M, but like a boutique shopping area. You know, if you're going out a lot, I, we, I caught myself three or four times. And I was like, oh great, they're still playing my music. But at first I was like, that sounds cool. What is that? It's kind of familiar. And I was like, oh God, that's me. <laughs> and it's, I think it's a chord progression thing, to be honest. I think there are chords, there are harmonically, there's something that I do that's maybe for my ear sounds right. Mm. And, uh, and then I'll catch it and go, well, yeah, that's good. You know, I'm glad, you know, that's, that's right. I feel good about that. It's um, almost like the, the universe did your editorial distance test in a public setting. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. It's kind of cool. I mean, I remember hearing that John Fogarty would, would record and then put it in his truck and drive around and see if it sounded good as he was driving. That was his. Yeah, thing. yeah. I mean, it's the same thing, right? Right. Right. It's good when it ca when it catches me off guard is when it's it's nice, you know. There's something. Oh, this is familiar. Wait, wait, that's me. So it's, it's definitely nice. Somewhere on a magical night, no one's faking. Hearts are breaking. I, I wanna go outside. Please just take me from this place. There were days on.
writing and you do that and then you go oh like you were talking about that sort of spiral sometimes where you go oh no this isn't good do you do you sometimes beat yourself up and go and I'm a terrible person and I've lived a terrible life <laughs> like how how hard are you on your on yourself when you're doing that no it's just more it's like I should quit I should do something else <laughs> sure <laughs> of course I've been doing this too long I, sh I, I should quit doing this I'm not you know I'm just doing the same thing or this is just boring or uh you know, I'm not, well, I'm not a good singer, you know, whatever, you know, it, it, you can definitely um, rip, rip your own work apart. And I know a lot of people that do, you know, so sometimes it is good to just get in and get out, you know, do it, record it, or have someone else help you with it and then get out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You don't want to be in the middle of the creative process and then start looking for jobs and real estate. Right. 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 Like where you think like, oh, my life is a sham. What have I, what have I been doing? You know, yeah. <laughs> I, you know, being from the Bay Area, we have a huge, and growing up in the 80s, we have a huge metal scene here. And I remember hearing the guys from this band called Y&T. I don't know if you if you. Oh, yeah, yeah. sure. Yeah. Y&T, yeah. Y&T. They were from here and they were talking about, I remember in the 80s, they were saying they would go to Japan and they would make tons of money in Japan. There was a huge right. market for them. And I'm not comparing you to Y&T, but there is a market for you that is not in the United States that has sort of emerged, right? Like a Spanish market. And um, that must be kind of a cool thing. And did that surprise you as that started to be emergent in your life? 
Well, I think from the get-go, my my records were always well received in the UK and in Europe. And I felt like the record company were smart and they got it. I was on Ryko Disc when I first signed mm-hmm. and they thought this is gonna work. Well, I don't know what it'll do in the States, but um, I think this is gonna, you know, this is gonna work. He may find an audience there. So they sent me over there to tour. And so every record I would go over there once or twice, either touring solo or with a band and support the release. And that has led to a long career of being able to uh, play over there and make some make some good fan, you know, make some lifelong fans. Um, Spain kind of happened later. I didn't go over there until 2004, I think. And the 1972 record that I put out was pop. That kind of broke out internationally on, on a certain level, not not on a huge level, but you know, playing more festivals, people more selling more concert tickets. Uh, and it, but in Spain, it became pretty popular. Um, so that brought me over there a couple times within a year, which I'd never been there before. So, uh, and then I ended up moving there. So I think a culmination of things happened um, that, you know, and it's a small country to where I kind of felt like, well, this is cozy. I, I like this, you know, I like the country. I like the food. I wanted to learn a new language. So they embraced me and I, I embraced them to a certain degree. You know? And it's remained. I mean, that, that sort of, devote, yeah. right. Yeah. 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 I ended up, uh, you know, having some songs and movies and doing a soundtrack and I want to, uh, equivalent of an oscar the goya award over there and um yeah even you know people know me over there which is great and i guess here to some extent too um but uh yeah so it's 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 great uh yeah well you did better but there i don't i never i still don't understand what works and what doesn't work not everything works over there you know i have friends that have are way more popular than me and you know that do well and they can't come play spain it just did there's something that doesn't click and i like i I was going back to earlier there's a melodic uh and harmonic thing that i think they enjoy rock and roll is very big in spain and it always will be you know i not not to say that i'm rock and roll i'm I'm kind of the opposite kind of mellow singer songwriter thing but they like they like something about it so which is i'm grateful for that yeah, I think that's very cool. I, um, I, you know, it's I mean, no one's ever used you and Y and T in the same uh, comparison before. I like it though. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> there's a kind of uh, there is a comparison in in many ways. There's a similarity in the sense that you can find a living outside of your of your home country, which is cool. Yeah, I there's um a band that I'm friends with. They're from France. They're called Tahiti Eighty. I love them. And, they were they were yeah. on the show. Oh, great. Yeah. And they're very big in Japan. I don't even know if they do that well in France, mm. you know, but they play, they found a lot of success playing in Japan and that's where they still, they still go play all the time. I know they do play in France as well. Just like I play here in the I tour all over, you know, um, but their biggest following is in France. I'd have to say that for me, the UK is still my biggest, you know, where I, I feel like I have the, the biggest amount of fans. Can you hear Nebraska on, you know, can you hear, can you hear your hometown on your 
on your albums and do you hear it still? No, not really. No, and I don't really examine it. I don't go back and examine stuff too much. I, I just heard a, uh, I found an old CD of at a concert that we did in 2002. Um, like listening to it live, it may be different, mm. you know. Um, but no, I can't, I, list, I can remember recording it and what was going on at that, you know, that time, but uh, no, I don't really hear, no, <laughs> to answer your question, Alex, no. It's not there. Because sometimes you'll look at like the first Kerouac novel at the town in the city and like it's so grounded in where he's from, you know, it's so grounded in place. Um, but but for what you're saying is, is more like it's more like a it's not regional, it's not geographical, it's more of like a it's a feeling more than anything else. Sure. Sure. But I, I love that. I love I love regionalism in music, you know, and I, I think it's the long. I wasn't really aware of it. I, I mean, I guess I was, but as I got older, it took me longer to kind of realize these things. You know, maybe if you grew up in a different time, you, you know, there's a different, um, sorry, um, you'd have a different concept of that. But as I get older, I, I appreciate that more. Just uh, music from New Orleans, you know, that area really, I really like it. I never felt like, I do feel like my music is, there's always a kind of a Midwestern sensibility, you know, kind of a mel Midwestern melancholy thing that, that that's in there. Um, but I don't feel, and I feel like when I moved to Spain, I started making records in Spain, I can definitely hear the Mediterranean influence and in living by an ocean. I can hear that in there. Uh, the musicians I'm playing with, what they're adding to it. You know, um, when I got into Brazilian music, I, I definitely can hear that influence. And uh, just growing as a musician and musically, I, I can I can hear, you know, maybe what I was listening to more. But I've never really felt like I've had a big identity to what I do. Like, you know, um, I'm from here, and I know people that stick to that. I'm from here, and I'm going to make music from here, and I love that, and I respect it. But I've never felt that tied to where I'm from to, to want to do that. <laughs> yeah. Be because yeah. like, like joy division, you can hear industrial Manchester. Oh man. Yeah. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. And I've always, you know, I've, I've been, um, you know, used to be, but I've been, you know, a musical tourist to some degree, you know, I just like trying out new things. I don't want to make the same. Maybe if I had made, you know, my first record was huge and I made, you know, we're speaking now and I've only made three records, it would be a different thing, you know, and it's all the same record. And I know people that have done that too, and it's great, but I've, I've always been uh, a bit of an adventurer. You know, I like to uh, get out there and, and try new things and try on different hats. Well, and also maybe if you were also still living in your hometown, that might. Right. You know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was a place that I, you know, culturally there wasn't enough happening there for me to stick around. You know, I had to go out and see the world and, and do all that. And that comes out in music. So I don't feel like um, uh, I'm always, I, 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 when I do hear that regionalism in music or like what we're talking about, I always, I always enjoy it a lot. I like it. Yeah. yeah. 
yeah because it represents it's such a snapshot of a time and a place yeah right? yeah even it, and it happened more you know when i started there wasn't the internet was just coming in we didn't have i think on my first tour i didn't have a a cell phone i think on my second tour i did but you know, at different different times in the fifties and sixties, you heard a lot more of that because people just didn't get around like, you know, like we can now. You know, and the music changes. It, exactly, exactly. Did you did you feel supported by your parents when you decided to pursue this as a as a vocation? Yeah, but it definitely when I got into my, you know, I had dropped out of college once or twice to pursue it, um, and then. I, I never went back and just started working jobs to pursue music. And it, when I got to be about 23 or 24, they were, you know, my mother more than anybody was like, you got to figure something out here. You know, uh, I was like, okay, I'm going to make this one last thing. Cause I had been in and out of bands, you know, this is what people do and they're, they're chasing their dreams, you know, uh, in and out of bands. And then, Finally, I just recorded a few songs on my own um, with a drummer who I'd played with in previous bands. And uh, he was a very social person. I was too, but he was on a whole different level. And he introduced me to some people and they became, you know, my, they said, hey, we'll put out, a, we'll do a record. We'll print up a thousand CDs and, you know, you can play. And they, they said, do you mind if we send this to other people? And that's when, you know, uh, everything kind of started to happen quickly as far as. You know, there were major labels that were flying in to see me. I wasn't even performing. I, you know, it was, so that's when the whole process started, which was an exciting time. I look back on that time as with a lot of, you know, I romanticize about that time. Yeah. I was just doing it. I was traveling in New York and I, or I was in Boston. I said, I remember going up here and going to the Ryko Disc office and offices and, you know, seeing the Nick Drake records and the Bowie cat, you know, them having all this stuff. I was like, wow, I'm going to be a part of all this. So it was, it was a beautiful time. Yeah, they did those great Costello reissues around the same time, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And they, they, they liked my music and wanted to put it out. And uh, it was, uh, it, it was, uh, I definitely made up for it with, you know, I definitely, it made me cocky. <laughs> I just didn't know how to handle it. So I was kind of like, yeah. Yeah, well, we'll see. I don't know if it'll work out with us, but you know that kind of thing. Where I was like, we're talking to other labels. You know, I'll, I'll be doing this whether you guys want to. You know, that quickly went away. But you know, I was only twenty three or twenty four, and just not sure how to handle all of it. All these years later, do you see your mom's position, uh, her in a different way now than you did at twenty three? Sure. Yeah, I understood where she was coming from. I, even at that point, I was like you know, okay, uh, maybe I could keep making music, but I, I'm, I'm going to have to, you know, I was work, I was valet parking cars, you know, um, just to pay the rent and have cash every day uh, and going to shows at night, working on songs, um, drinking a lot, you know. Um, so, no, I understand where she was coming from. And I think I understood it then too, but I still had this thing. I just had this, you know, hope that, you know, something, I could do something with music besides it just be a hobby. And it ended up working out. Where was college for you? Where was that? I went to Austin P here in about an hour outside of Nashville. Wow. 
So, and another thing, you know, that's, that was very big for me, it was living so close to Nashville in high school and in college and performing here and realizing that even if maybe if I wasn't making my own records, I would, I wanted to do something that was within music because there was such an industry here at that, at that time, I knew that there was more than country music here. You know, there were, there was always, there was always a good underground scene here and there were, there were jobs in publishing, um, recording, which I enjoyed a lot. So I, I always wanted to do something within the music that was related to music. There's a certain kind of boldness uh, and also youthful boldness and self-belief to leave college for your art at a young age. I, I admire that. I admire that bravery. Well, I do too. Now, as I get older, I wish, <laughs> especially, you know, if you're playing a gig for 23 people, it's like, and you're, you're tired and, you know, um, it's definitely, uh, there have been times where it's like, wow, I, I wish I was, uh, you know, I could have put out records. I don't know. I don't regret anything, but it, as you get older, it, it would be nice to have, uh, to be able to sell real estate sometimes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> especially in Nashville right now. Yeah. Especially in San Francisco right now. Good God. Right. Um, has your relationship with the live with live performance has that changed over the years? Is it a comfortable place for you? Do you do you have do you enjoy have you always enjoyed it and do you enjoy it more now than ever? Well, that's a, that's a tough question to answer. Um, I need to do it now to pay bills, to be direct, to be honest. Um, I do enjoy it. I'm glad I can do it. Um, my audiences are different everywhere I go. They varied city to city. So yeah, there's so many, on a logistical level, uh, you know, if it's easy, I love doing it. I love going to play Atlanta, it's four hours away. <laughs> yeah, but you know, so much involves, you know, I just played the West Coast logistically flying out there flying from city to city playing a show the same day you know you've been doing that for 20 years like wow okay you know uh the best way to do it is if you can afford it is to be on a on a tour bus you know with a lot of people doing things for you that's fantastic that's, and i've done that for a long time but I'm, my career is not at that point so i have to i have to wear a lot of hats now and um it's a lot of work i still enjoy it but uh short spells of time <laughs> yeah because like weekend 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 warrior stuff is great right because the punk rock ethos of get in the van is is really for a young person right it is you know i just turned 50 and yeah i mean a lot of driving a lot of you know trying to find good food um and that definitely wears wears thin yeah, we're, I've got a few years on you, and I, I drove uh, from the Bay Area, I drove to Monterey, it's like a two-hour drive, and I was like, oh, I'm exhausted. <laughs> it's like, yeah. It's embarrassing, but I imagine having to arrive somewhere and then perform um, is a big ask. Yeah, I mean, a nap has is, is become very important in that, you know, you got to, I always have to get to the hotel, and then you get checked in, and, and, and to get, you know, just a small little siesta. Can definitely save a performance and in, in, in a day. And you know, you're I'm 
dealing with a lot of people, you know, getting paid and the merchandise and all that stuff, especially when I perform solo, I don't bring anybody else out. It's just me, which is great. It's great to yeah, have a lot of time to reflect, even if you're driving, it can be wonderful sometimes. Um, and then sometimes after three or four shows, it can, it can become, it can really wear you down. Also, you perform under your own name. And so when people, but when you're on stage, it is an amplification of, of Josh Rouse, right? It's not really you, um, even though it is. And so when people want to come talk to you after the show, and you, do you still feel you have to be that character? Because I've always said I teach college, and if I see a student in the grocery store, I'm like, I have to be that. i got to remember how to be the guy who was in front of the classroom because it's not really me. Yeah, that always finds that's – that's, that's a really good question. It always, for me, it takes – to kind of put on, wear that different hat, it takes a show or two. And then once you slip into that character, um, you know, that ego, it, it, it makes the job easier. And the shows are probably better, to be honest. I always feel like the first show is a bit awkward. It's like, okay, I'm telling the stories, I'm, I'm being that guy. And um, it's, it's uh, I'm not in shape. So it's something if, if you do it, if you can stay in it, it, it it's it's great to kind of dip in and out is bit, uh, uh, of, of touring is, is a bit of a challenge. sometimes. I know it sounds weird to say that the guy that you are on stage isn't really you, but you know what I mean? Like, because it kind of isn't right. It's like, right. Yeah, I'm performing. I'm acting to some to some degree. You know, that's what that's what, uh, you know, that's what I do. Right, right. It, but it takes the bandwidth in a, in a way that maybe it didn't used to, right? It sort of saps the bandwidth. Yeah, for sure. It's, it's draining. <laughs> um, man, I appreciate you taking the time and chatting with me on the 4th of July. It's an American holiday, and, I, and I've, uh, I've wanted to talk to you for a long time, and I appreciate you taking the time to do this. Well, thanks, Alex. There you go. A little 4th of July conversation with Josh Rouse. Really nice guy. Uh, The new album, Going Places, is fantastic. Do pick it up. Go to joshrouse.com. And uh, while you're there in the Josh Rouse store, there's some cool stuff. T-shirts, a coffee mug, all the music is there. Go get a Josh Rouse power package, and uh, you'll be very happy when it arrives on your doorstep. Now, if you live in the U.S., uh, Josh Rouse could be on your doorstep very soon because he's probably playing your town. Uh, shows in Milwaukee, Chicago. Uh, there's a gig in Kentucky. But then, in October, our pal Mr. Rouse is heading to Europe. So if you want to see him, you got to go to Finland or Norway or Sweden or Paris. Go to Paris. You'd look fabulous in Paris at a Josh Rouse show. How cool would you look there? I'm just painting a very sophisticated picture of you. Take a shot of yourself, put it on Instagram. Imagine how many people will marvel at how urbane and, uh, and cultured you look at a Josh Rouse show in Europe.
It'll be worth the airfare. Go, go see Josh this fall. AlexGreenOnline.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with me. There is some exciting news coming up very soon. That's my little teaser on that front. I'll give you a hint. It has to do uh, with a new book. Well, I just gave the news away, didn't I? (laughs) Uh, Whatever. Well, look, I'll tell you more about that new book uh, as we get closer to the publication date, which I'll know more about in the coming weeks. Okay? Uh, follow me on Twitter at Ember's Editor. Follow me on Instagram at Ember's Podcast. Or just email me, editor at StereoEmbersMagazine.com. Don't forget that Stereo Embers, the podcast, is available on all podcast platforms. Go to the one that you use, subscribe, rate and review, and tell every single person on this planet that you know. Thank you in advance for spreading the word. Don't forget also... All these things, by the way, I don't think you're going to forget them. It's just an expression, just a little gentle reminder by saying, don't forget. Bombshellradio.com is where you need to go to find out what's happening with our radio station and what makes it tick 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. And yeah, by default, that would be seven days a week. Let's close the show with a longer listen to City Dog by Josh Rouse from his fabulous new album, Going Places. Enjoy it. And thank you, as always, for listening to Stereo Embers, the podcast only right here on Bombshell Radio. I will never know the life you had before. White and brown stray, you are so kind. Sit down, watch them all. Bye.